Feels holiday-ish in here, right? Why don't you guys stand with us? I'm gonna start things off a little bit differently today as, the, as we begin Advent. I, we've done this in the times past, but it's been a while. I'd like to um, have us all involved in the call to worship this morning. So we're gonna do a call and response Advent reading together called Come Lord Jesus. So on the screen, I will be the leader. You guys will be the community. And at the end, we'll all join together and, and speak together. So um, let's join. Go and put the first slide up, Greg. So anticipation grows within us. There is no wound in the world that will not be healed. There is no darkness nor shadow that will be untouched by light. There is no evil on earth that will, that will not be uncovered, no authority that will not kneel. In this first week of Advent, we sing with the prophets. In this first week of Advent, we shout with the children. In this first week of Advent, we pray with believers around the world. Lord, we prepare the ground of our hearts for this Advent season. Once again, we reclaim your work within us and in your world to make things new. The story of Advent reminds us that when you come, there is transformation and healing. You transformed lives then, you transform our lives now, and you will transform all things on the day of your return. We look forward to this great day when all creation will be made new. We prepare our hearts in this Advent season by praying, listening, singing, and responding to your coming. With the ancients who awaited you, we say, living Lord, come among us. Amen. Let's sing together. Oh, 
pray together. Oh, Father, let your hope rise in our hearts. Let our eyes, lift our eyes up to see that you alone are where our hope comes from. Help us to shake off the anxiety, the discouragements and distractions that have filled us this year. May we pause to remember that we have hope in you. God, you know the end of our stories. We give thanks because you have promised that it will be a victorious ending. Give us the grace that we need to wrap up this year joyfully. We invite your spirit into this beautiful Advent season. Renew our sense of your holy anticipation. Let us be those who are waiting eagerly for Jesus to come again. More than anything, we ask that you be glorified in this season of expectation. In your name, amen. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning once again. I do have a few announcements to bring to our attention this morning. If you uh, just put your eyeballs up on the screen, um, there'll be some slides up there to kind of give you a little more information to fill out what I'm saying this morning. So first of all, if you have already signed up for an Advent activity bag, um, if you've not already grabbed it, it is on the table out in the lobby. So pick those up if you've signed up for those. They'll be waiting for you. Um, also, Pop Theology is coming up in two weeks on December 5th. And we're going to be having this just like last month at Two Guys Brewing. If you need any more information, this Tuesday. Okay. Two weeks meant two days. Two days from now. Two days, it'll be at Pub Theology at um, Two Guys Brewing. So if you need more information about that and correct information, it'll um, email um, Noah Matthijs up on the screen. Or if you want to join that email list, you can email him there as well to get all the info about the time and stuff. Um, next, we're excited to offer Profession of Faith and Baptism this January. This class is for anyone interested in believer baptism or Profession of Faith, who um, kids who are teens or 12 and up. Um, so please check out the details and register for the class on our website. So go to the website or the app. Information is all in there. We'll also be going in the email um, that comes out today as well. If you have any questions about that, see Pastor Dennis or Julie or um, any of the staff, and we'll help you out with that. And lastly, we have a special guest with us this morning, Kara Vanderkamp. If you can come on up, Kara's going to come and give us an update about Remember to Jere. And uh, please welcome her as she comes up. Thanks, Dan. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be back with all of you again. Um, I appreciate you more than you can possibly know. Um, so Remember Niger Coalition is, yeah. So I'm the director of the Remember Niger Coalition. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I was sent actually by the Presbyterian Church to live and work in Niger. And I was there for a few years helping churches start schools. And seeing the wonderful opportunity there, um, came back to the United States and with the help of a lot of people here in, at Sunrise as well, uh, we started the Remember Niger Coalition. And our mission is to uh, unify people and mobilize resources to expand quality educational opportunities in Niger. 
And we are motivated by the verse in the Bible in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And truly, Niger itself is a very poor country. It's one of the least developed countries in the world. And it is the least educated. But also, uh, remember Niger works with and supports students, children, and families that are, are the least of these in their communities. Um, so this past year has been a little bit challenging. Um, we're so thankful for all of your prayers. And uh, in July, there was a coup. Um, the military took over the government. It wasn't a, a democratically elected government previously. Um, so Niger, you can see on the top map there is a landlocked country. So this has been a challenging time for our partners. We have 19 school partners that we support throughout Niger. These are mostly churches that have started schools. Um, and it's been difficult because since the coup, the countries around Niger closed their borders. And that means because they don't have access to the coast, it's been difficult to get food into Niger and food costs have risen greatly. Um, it's also not just food, but any products like medical products, um, which has meant that the people on the fringes of society in Niger, the poorest, um, people who struggle with health problems like diabetes, high blood pressure, there's they've really struggled and many of them have actually died, which you don't hear in the news, it's not reported. In fact, Niger isn't even in the news at this point. And so, but it's a, it's a kind of a tragic situation. But thanks to you, your prayers, your support, uh, remember Niger was able to respond. And so we were able to provide over 500 uh, meals, uh, kits, this is, you can see it's rice and beans and oil, to our most vulnerable students and their families. And that was at the School of Hope for Children with Disabilities. Uh, it's a Christian school, so not only were we able to help help children and families who really are the least of these, but also it was this wonderful witness of God's love to, to the families, but the community as well. Here you can see one young boy and his, uh, I think that's his grandmother. Um, we have awesome partners in Niger, and even though I couldn't travel to there right now, um, we were able to still go ahead and do our annual teacher training in September. And school did start in October. We kind of wondered if that was going to be able to happen, but praise God that happened. Kids are in school and they're learning. Uh, this past year, we built uh, a total of nine classrooms, uh, six classrooms at a school that was having a lot of flooding issues, and then three classrooms at a school that didn't have permanent classrooms, brick, brick uh, classrooms. They were learning on the, in the dirt at that school. I would love to invite you to get more involved. 
Um, I know it's difficult because Niger is far away. It's, you know, across the ocean. There's security concerns, all of that. But I would just love to ask you to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters there. Um, pray for the people of Niger. We, we really need the borders to open again. Uh, it's going to take some time for food costs to go down even when the borders do open. But I really think there's going to be an enormous problem in probably like April, March in there. That's usually what we would call the hunger season in Niger anyway. It's when the, har the harvest is in September. And by April, May, June, that's running out anyway. And the fact that food prices are already so high, it, I just feel like this is going to be a very difficult year. And with that in mind, actually, we, we stocked up on uh, food millet, which is grown in Niger already um, for our schools so that the students will have meals. Okay, I put this up there, travel to Niger. I know this isn't necessarily the time, but if you're thinking about it, I, would, I am actually going to be going back in January. So I know that I'm not really taking anybody now, but I think uh, we are going to, I'm hopeful, optimistic that the borders are going to open and that this uh, military government that Niger has right now is going to move back towards a democracy. And so once that happens, then uh, things will normalize and we can get back in there. And uh, if you're interested in joining our board, I would love to, you know, come see me, talk to me. We, I'd love to have you. And, uh, or you can choose a project to support. Many of you sponsor students, which we're so grateful for. These are students who otherwise wouldn't be in school. Um, that's a way to support us as well, or support the, our friends and brothers and sisters in Niger. So thank you so much. God bless you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kara. Um, if you want to, if you have any more questions for Kara, would like to talk with her. Um, Kara will be in the lobby in the corner where we have our little missions area, so she can talk with you over there. Um, I don't know if, no, if I even introduced myself earlier, but I'm, I'm Dan Dupuy, the worship pastor and community life pastor here at Sunrise. If you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you afterwards. If, you, if this is your first time here at Sunrise, I want to say a special welcome to you. Um, we'd love for you to visit us in the lobby by the connect table. We have a little connection card we'd love for you to fill out, and um, we'd love to give you a free gift for doing that, and also a little gift in the mail later this week. Um, so please do that. And also, this is a time that we can also um, worship by giving of our tithes and offerings. Um, if you want to, if you call Sunrise a home, please, we would love for you to partner with us, not just by serving and connecting here at Sundays, but also with giving monetarily and help us to finish strong this year. So um, the, several ways to give. You can give in the box. In the back, you can give online. Um, I think there's, yep, QR code you can scan behind me as well, and it'll bring you to our website to give there. That said, um, now we have a special time to let our kiddos head off to their special programmed time, and we will be standing to greet one another. A little three-minute timer will be up there. If, if, this, if you're an introvert, you have three minutes to run back and get some coffee. So it's hard to believe that we have arrived already at the Advent season. Uh, it, it seems like just yesterday we were celebrating the, the new year. And today, we, along with millions of other believers all around the world, begin a journey of anticipation. Anticipation of the arrival of King Jesus. We remember and we celebrate that in our great time of need, he showed up. 
I'm honored today to be joined by my dear friend, uh, Joel Razdahl. Could we welcome Joel real quick? So I've asked Joel to join me this morning, right up into his, you are sweaty, aren't you? You're all right. He, he told me, he's like, I'm so nervous. Um, I've asked, yeah, that's, it's, no, it does, it does, it makes things better, right? Um, I've asked Joel here today for, for several reasons. The first is that he's my friend and I just like to spend time with him. So, ta-da, this is, this is what happens if you become friends with me. Uh, Randy, be, be, be ready. Yeah, he's shaking his head. Yeah. So, no, very specifically, Joel and I have talked about the passage that we're going to be looking at today out of uh, Genesis chapter 15 just many, many times. And as we were going through what the teaching schedule was going to look like over the next several months with the elders, it was either in October or November, we were talking about the gospel uh, in the Old Testament and according to, and before I could turn the page and get to this passage, Joel was like, but what about Genesis 15? What about Genesis 15? And I'm like, man, you're so passionate about this. Why don't you preach this with me? And uh, <laughs> number one, Katie's on number one. So today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15 and we're going to be uh, walking through primarily uh, the, the whole thing, the whole chapter today. Um, but, but Joe, why is Genesis 15 so important? So I lived for a little while as a Messianic Jew. And one of the things that I really got out of my time there is that the Bible is one story. It's one complete book, start to finish. We talk Old Testament, New Testament, there's the law and then Jesus, and now we're something else. It's telling one story, the law and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David. It's all one story. And so God promising Abram a future God promising us a future and God promising a Messiah and God promising that David will stay, that David's throne will stay. It's one promise. It's one story. And it's a story of hope and it's a story of God's love for us. Yeah. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 15, and uh, we're going to read the first uh, few verses, and we're just going to kind of make our way through uh, this passage this morning. Um, and so Genesis 15, verse 1, we start out, and we sort of drop in a parachute where God shows up, and it says, after this, and the after this was that uh, Abraham had essentially gone to war to rescue Lot, and had ran into this strange figure called Melchizedek, the king of, of Salem, and, and says, after this, the word of the Lord came came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. All right, Joel, so, so, so Yahweh, the yod heh vav comes to Abraham, and he says that he's his shield, he's very great reward. Why is all of this significant, that God comes to Abraham yet again and says these things to him? Well, there's a couple things going on. Um, first, I mean, we take this a little bit for granted, but it's worth pointing out how kind of amazing it is that God cares what Abram thinks. He could protect him and provide for him without caring about his emotional state. I mean, we have cats. <laughs> and I don't explain to my cat where it stands. And God exists on a higher plane you know, than, than we do. He can do things that we as humans can't do. I'm not, I'm not trying to get into like a, you know, a Calvinistic total depravity thing here. And I'm not trying to discount the Imago Dei. I'm just saying that God is, he's reaching out to Abram in his heart. He's reaching out to where Abram feels, like where he lives in his, in his heart emotionally. 
it's kind of bizarre when you think about it in a way. But the other thing worth pointing out is, um, you know, he used the name, you know, Yahweh. Um, I actually got in the habit of not saying that. I'll say Hashem, which yeah. is something I got from the Messianic Jews. It just means the name. And it's just a way around not saying that because you want to keep it holy. It's, I don't think that, the, that we're breaking a commandment by saying it. I want to be clear here. There's, I'm not saying this to put a heaviness on you, but just to explain that, like, if you hear Hashem or if you hear the Tetragrammaton, if you're feeling more on the Greek side of it, um, that's what it's talking about. So. Yep. So, so, right, so this otherness, right? So yes. we see that there's this ontological distinction, but there's also something that Abraham or Abram is experiencing something with God here relationally yes. that is yes. different than when my cat Holly wakes up every morning at 6.30 yelling and screaming at me to feed her. Like there's a, yeah. th th there is something, there is otherness, but yet there is relationship and pursuit here yes. that we and, need to pay attention to. And God understands Abram's the set of his heart, and he is actively meeting him there. Yeah, good. So, but Abram said, so we move on through the text, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be heir. All right, so we come out of this declaration where God shows up, right? Not the first time this has happened, right? So this is kind of a, a, a theme. Abram minding his own business. God shows up and says, hey, I got plans. Plans to prosper, not to harm. Ah, see what I did there? Yeah. Jeremiah. Coming out of this declaration, Abram has a question, though, and it's a legitimate question, and it basically has to do with God's promise. So if we look back, and, and we flip back a few, few chapters, we know that this isn't the first time that God has come to Abram. He's come to him in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, he shows up and he gives Abram more promises. He actually says, hey, he, he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans to a place that he will show him. And he essentially says this, I'm going to give you a place, right? Th there's going to be a place. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you heirs. There's going to be people, right? So th that are going to... Um, you're going to have, have heirs. And at this point, Abram's pretty old, doesn't have any children. Uh, but he also says, and then I'm going to make you a blessing. Essentially, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the whole world. Um, and, and the issue that we face, or Abram faces here in this passage, is I think an issue that probably, well, if we're honest, a lot of us face is that God seems to be walking too slowly in fulfilling his promises. We believe that God's a promise keeper, but the reality is, is that sometimes God takes his own counsel on when he fulfills his promises. And Abram is confronted by God and God comes to him. And the question that he has is, this isn't the first time that I've heard this, but when are you actually going to do the thing that you said you were going to do because you said you were going to give me this land but I'm still at times fighting for my life you said that you were going to give me an heir but it's my servant guy from Damascus that's going to inherit all of my stuff you, you said that you're going to make me a blessing but I really don't feel too much like a blessing and he asked a legitimate question and then what takes place 
Right. So God makes further promises. He said, this man will not be your heir. A son of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Look up at the sky and, and count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. And then it says, and we all know this passage, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah. Or it was counted to him as righteousness. And I think it's worth stopping for a minute and asking ourselves what Abram is doing that's counted as righteousness. I mean, he doesn't have to do anything. God made this promise. It will happen. And God told Abram about the promise. He, he really literally doesn't have to do anything. His righteousness here, it's, it's a set of his heart. And the fact that God tells him this and puts him in that place, it's saying something about the nature of God. I mean, it's pretty likely that in human history, people have had a future that they didn't know about that God didn't tell them, you will have a future. Yeah. Like, this, there's something else going on here. God is telling Abram this hope, and then Abram is choosing to embrace the hope. It's a set of his heart. Um, he, you know, Proverbs tells us hope deferred makes a heart sick. Abram is keeping his heart strong. He is not giving up. He's not giving it to despair, and he's not hardening his heart. And I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, I know for myself, when I've been tested hard, the easiest first thing to give up is hope. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> it's logical in a horrible sort of a way. You can say, why would I choose to keep hoping? I can choose despair and the same things are going to happen and I will have an easier time of it because I won't be, you know, making myself insane all the time. That's not what Abram did. And that's not what the, and the, the point of the story is that that's not what Abram did. So then the next thing God says is, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I read um, passages in the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, when it says, I am the Lord, I hear a kind of a deep, booming, stern sort of a voice. <laughs> I am the Lord. That worked a lot better than I thought it was going right? to. That was really well done. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Let's look at what he's actually saying. He's saying, I am the Lord who brought you out of this place. Yeah, yeah. I did this for you. It's a relational point of connection. We could read this in the same tone that we could read any reminder of God's prayers that were answered in our lives. I could very easily read this in the same tone as, I am the Lord who brought you through dry and lonely lands to Brenda, my wife. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's... That's one of my answered prayers. That's what God is saying to Abram right now. He's saying, I answered your prayers. I was there, we're here. God's foundational contact point is still entirely relational. There's nothing coercive here. And I cannot stress that enough. There is no part in this where God is saying, you are an excellent puppet and will be rewarded. Or I will make you into an excellent puppet. Hmm. Or prepare to be puppetized. None of that is here. God wants Abram to be more Abram. And in fact, we all know the spoiler alert here, which is that he's actually going to change his name to Abraham, father to great father, more Abram than even his name included. Hmm. So then Abram comes back with sovereign Lord. How can I know that I will gain possession of this? And here we have a very human doubt. Yeah. And I think it's easy to underestimate the choice that Abram made to, that was credited to him as righteousness but we, can, but we can lose hope pretty easily. It's pretty easy to lose. And I think here it's easy to overestimate the, the darkness, if you will, of the doubt. Doubt is a rational thing. 
it is not irrational to have doubts. That is your mind working on the situation that you're in. Abram has lots of evidence that this isn't going to happen. He believes God. He has hope in his heart. Now what? Yeah. And um, God's, an God's response is startling. I mean, really startling. God could have said, wait and see. Right? Promise is made. It will happen. Give it a minute. Close your eyes and count to three. It'll happen. That's not what he does. God moves into this new phase in their relationship. And it's like we're going to move into the covenant next. And Dennis is going to talk about the covenant. But I want to stress, if it was um, kind of amazing that God is making promises to Abram in, his, like, in the space of his private heart, in the, the world behind his eyes, if you will, covenanting with him, I do not covenant with our cats. I, I don't want you guys to think I'm a bad pet owner, but I don't covenant with our cats. There's a thing here where God is not treating Abram like a pet or like a favorite chair, like a, a lesser plane of existence creature. He's meeting him exactly where he's at, and he's elevating the value of the Imago Dei in Abram by his love. It's a tremendously powerful thought because we don't have anything implicitly important about us. God meets us in that love, and he elevates us by that same love. So then, a covenant. Yeah, so the, right, we've talked about this recurring theme of how God, the God of the scriptures is a God who pursues his fallen creatures. He comes running. And we see that again, you guys. I, I don't know, Joel, we've, we've talked about this a lot, but the fact that I find great comfort in the fact that even when Abram doubts, that God's response isn't to chastise him for the doubts, right? And, and, right, and I'm not saying that we, we can't find examples of, of, of these kinds of things, but, but, but I think that what we see often in the scriptures and what I've experienced often in my life is that sincere doubt is not met by the chastisement of God. It's met by... The God who loved us enough to make the incarnation a reality to press in and pursue us even more, right? And so God's response then to Abraham saying, how do I know? How do I know that this is going to happen? Um, was the Lord to initiate this covenant, right? This, this experience for Abraham. And so the Lord said to him, Abram, uh, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. <laughs> this sounds like a bad joke, the beginning of a bad joke, doesn't it? <laughs> Lord, how do I know? Gather up a heifer, a goat. And Abram brought all these things to him. And the, okay, this gets really gross here, right? But we talked about this earlier and you'd, talk, you'd said how that um, because we live in a society where we're not on a first name basis with dinner, Right? It often, right, this, this, this distances us from, from things. And so what did Abram do? He cut them in half and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So, so just a, a brief sort of snapshot here. You guys, this is kind of an ancient, uh, this is how ancient covenants were done. There was often blood that was involved. There was often sacrifices that was involved. Specifically, we have examples from the ancient Near East that this was quite often how a land covenant was, was done. As you had two parties that would come together, they would arrange these uh, pieces of sacrifices. They would walk through the sacrifices. Um, and what would the implicit declaration was may what has been done to these animals be done to me 
if I don't keep up my end of the bargain. Great. How would you like to show up to how would you like to show up to LMCU for a, a mortgage loan? And them to say, and the loan officer to say, okay, Dennis, could you come out back for a second? We just got one thing we need to do. Right? And you read and you go out and there's this, right? It, carnage. Carnage. Right? And it's like, okay, we just need to walk through these pieces and then sign this paper to say that if you don't pay us on time, what's done to these animals, you're willing to, right? Pretty, right, heady stuff. But as the sun was setting, the text tells us, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and a dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Remember where this is being first delivered? Remember the first recipients of this? Remember what's going on here is that this is being told and codified to people who have just been delivered from Egypt. What's he doing? He's, he's anchoring it in their story. But I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, talking to Abram, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Almost 20 years of higher education and I had to read that 18 different times to be able to. And thus, God's promise to Abram. Joel, we talked about this and, and we talked about how the structure, the, the covenant changes everything. And as we were working through that, that, that middle piece of, of God specifically calling out the sojourn in Egypt, that that gnawed at you for several days. It did, yeah. Right? That gnawing was something important as we worked through the passage. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it did hit me a little sideways. I feel like the covenant with Abram is something much larger than the sojourn in Egypt. Um, and, I mean, we are still living out elements of the covenant with Abram. And there's, there's places where you could argue we're still living out the sojourn, from e the sojourn in Egypt, but... It's, it's like, it felt like giving a baby blanket is a wedding gift. Like, a marriage is more than a child. The one typically follows the other, but the, that's not the purpose, that there's more to it than just the one thing. Um, I personally found it very freeing to see that you could take this, that the text is doing the same thing that we're doing here, that they were taking the story and applying it to where they were. And it kind of, in my mind, it gives us the freedom to do the same thing, that because like the, the, the Hashem, the name, that hadn't been given to Moses yet. Like we're told in the story that this has happened after Moses received the name by the way it's worded. So to have that, that freedom to say, you know, Abram's story was worth telling 
after, after the Exodus. Abram's story is worth telling after Christ. Abram's yeah. story is worth telling 2,000 years after Christ. Yeah. And in the sense, right, we're invited into, there's something that we're invited into, this, this story that's much larger. And while, as you and I sit here, totally as Gentiles, and in one sense, right, not a part of this story, but yet in some mystical way that us theologian types really can't figure out how to fully explain, right, that the Isaiah passage that there's been a grafting that, that Paul's writing to the letters, to the, in the letter to, to the church of Galatia, that, that there is something that's going on here that, that not only is God just re, re, reminding Abram that he's going to give him this land, but implicit in all this is a reminder that there is an heir that's coming and a people that are coming and a place that is situated and set apart and a blessing that will extend not just to the father of this great nation, but to the great father of many nations that you and I, in that sense, are a part of this covenant. So I, I think that, that that part I think of, of, of our of our wrestling over the last couple of weeks has has been I think especially meaningful to me to see that while we feel like sometimes we play a small part, while we feel like, God have you forgotten me, while we feel like that there's this there's this great cloud of witnesses. Right? It's not an accident. You pointed out just a couple of days ago, right? The the Hebrews 11, 12, that, that section of, that, that the writer of Hebrews draws directly from this covenant that Abram's faith was counted to him as righteousness, that, that this promise will outlive Abram. Look what it says. It says that you'll, you, basically you'll die. <laughs> this is what God says, right? You'll die. It'll be a, a, a nice old age. Don't worry. But my promise is going to outlive you. It's going to go to your children and your children's children and so on and so forth and, and continue on down. That, that it's for David and it's for Daniel and it's for Deborah and it's for Esther and through Jesus. My friends, I, I want us to see that today we have hope because it's for us. Because the heir of Abram came and fulfilled all of these things and and even though that Abram won't see all of the ways in which God is going to fulfill the promise, God is still going to fulfill the promise. That, that even though he won't get to see the fruit of his righteousness that was based upon not his behavior but his belief, there are so many things about this image, my friends, that, that I just feel like we, we don't often get. But, but, but the thing that just sprang up over the last few days for me was just this invitation toward hope. We have hope. We have hope, my friends, because God has walked through the broken pieces. We know what it's like to have broken pieces, don't we? We know what it's like to feel shattered and to feel scared, but yet 
God will provide, and often not in the way that we think that he will, not often in a way that, that we contrive of our own making, right? But God will provide an heir. Isaac was born to Abram in his old age, and no one could deny that God was the one who did it. That God provided freedom for the captives in Egypt in such a way that no one could deny that your God whose name is... Yod, hey, vav, hey, has done this. God provided through Jacob and through Samson and through David and through Nehemiah. And he spoke through Isaiah and through Micah and through Ezekiel. That time and time again, God provided by walking through the broken pieces, not just of Abram's sacrifice, but through the broken pieces, even the broken pieces of the disobedience of his people, which again gives me hope. Because it reminds me, my friends, that there is nothing that we can do to break our lives so far apart and to shatter them so significantly that God can't be faithful to walk through them and to be and, and to make good on his promises. You see, God didn't forget. But maybe something that we need to be reminded this morning is that God has also not forgotten. He's not forgotten that one day Jesus will make good on his promises. That there will be peace in the land, which seems, as we're sitting here in this moment, seems especially unattainable. But it's not just about real estate. It's not just about a plot of land that's embroiled in so much chaos and so much death right now. My friends, in Jesus, we find that it's about, well, the restoration of all creation. For what Jesus did wasn't just for us. Just like it wasn't just for Abram, it was for those who will come after us as we have come after him. It was for all who await even if we never experience the fullness of God's invasion upon this earth. As the worship team comes, we want to do one more thing before we're done. Yeah, it's the first Sunday of Advent, and we all know the verse. Um, I'll say it. If you want to say it with me, you're welcome to. For God so loved the world that he, that gave, he gave his, his only begotten son, that, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But let's make this a little more specific. For God so loved Abram that he promised him a future yeah. beyond his wildest dreams, delighting in his joy and meeting him in his doubt. For God so loves us, you and me, that he includes us in a story larger than time itself, a story of redemption and joy and peace. For God so loves us that he makes a place of rest in him for us from our own rage and doubt and despair and dissipation. And I want to be clear, when I say God is love or God loves you, we're not hoping in something um, weak. This is not a mere sentiment. We are not, our hope was never that we're so important that God has to save us. And people keep trying to add that to religion and it keeps not going great, not to put too fine a point on it. But when we think about love, I think a good way to look at this is to think about holding a baby. And you don't have to be a parent and it doesn't have to be your baby to have felt this. All a baby ever sees is their need. But when you hold a baby, you see more than their need. 
you see their potential. You see, you see so much more than just a human that's going to scream at you for two hours on end if it doesn't get what it wants. You see them in love. And that love is a powerful force. It's a transformative force. And it can carry us willingly into places we'd have to be insane to go otherwise. God meets us there constantly, perpetually. He lives in a state of meeting us there. Let his love be your hope today. And thank you for your time. Yes. So, Father, we now pray for these dear friends. We do thank you that we have hope and that you are our steadfast home. We thank you, God, for your, your faithfulness, not just to make promises, but to keep promises. God, we thank you for meeting us in our, our shattered spaces of brokenness, in the presence of our doubt. Lord, we thank you that you count... <laughs> Your way is to count our belief and faith as righteousness, just as it was with Abram. God, we thank you for the inheritance that we have, that we celebrate, that we remember. And we would ask, Lord Jesus, that you would carry us along. Give us the strength and the power courage to point others towards you because you are not just our hope. You are the great and final and only hope of a lost and desperate and needy world. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Way maker, miracle worker, 
promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Let's stand together. You are here, touching every heart. Oh, I worship you. Yes, I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. Yes, I worship you. You are here, you're turning lives around. I worship you. Yes, I worship you. You are here, mending every heart. Oh, I worship you. Oh, I worship you. Cause you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you We trust in you. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Let's declare this morning. Oh, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. Cause you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Oh, you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Yes, that is who you are. That is who you are. 
we go this morning, be reminded that faith and hope are inextricably connected. And the folk, faith is simply confidence in what we hope for, of being assured of what we do not see, that it was by faith that Abram brought a better offering by which Enoch walked with God. It was faith that prompted Noah to build that ark and faith that gave Abram the courage to depart from Ur of the Chaldeans. It was by faith. Isaac blessed Jacob and Jacob, when he was dying, blessed Joseph. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was near the end of his life, gave encouraging words to the Israelites. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him. And by faith that Moses grew and refused to be known as Pharaoh's son. It was by faith that God's people passed through the Red Sea by faith that the walls of Jericho fell, that the, the prostitute Rahab had the courage to hide the spies, that all of these were commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what had been promised. They pressed on in hope. this, the writer of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, the current crop of hopers, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the only one who is worthy. As the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning and shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. the one who promised is faithful and true. Amen? Go in his peace.